My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once, with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week, we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 160, Myth Movie Night, The Spirit of Christmas, a Buckwild rom-com uh, streaming movie. Yeah. Uh, happy holidays. We gave you a real doozy. <laughs> I know. Happy belated Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa to any uh, who celebrate. And we hope that this gets you really in the spirit to like drink or otherwise, you know, self-medicate and self-care your way through the holidays. Yes, we we picked a doozy of a drink for this episode. I made hanky pankies and you'll find out one, what that is and two, mm. why later on in the episode. <laughs> It was extremely on the nose in a way that I really enjoy. Thank you. And again, we are recording this a little bit early uh, as we are uh, doing various kinds of traveling and, and family time uh, this this week that you're listening to it. So we just have one new patron to thank, Torben, who joins the ranks of our supporting producer-level patrons. Philip, Megan, Deborah, Molly, Skyla, Samantha, Sammy, Josie, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh. As well as our legend-level patrons, Kylie, Charlotte, Kylo the Husky, Morgan, Emily, Beam Me Up Scotty, Audra, Chris, Mark, Cody, Mr. Folk, Sarah, and Jack Marie. They always make the uh, best Prohibition-style cocktails at your holiday party. And Julie, can I tell you how I am prioritizing, uh, you know, solo time, my family of choice time, and just general rest uh, this holiday season? As you well deserve. Do it up. Thank you. Uh, I am spending a lot of time at home watching my favorite genre of show, which is completely devoid of plot, with my very patient and indulgent uh, partner, Eric Silver, who uh, knows but still pays attention to shows that have absolutely no plot, which I love a ton. And The Repair Shop is uh, a like British restoration barn where a bunch of lovely, patient, supportive co-workers together restore antiques. So there's like a woodworking guy, an upholstery guy, a ceramics lady, a watch and clockmaker guy, a like iron worker that they bring in on occasion. And they're all just supportive they josh each other but not too much and you get to see them like lovingly restore tables and shit back to uh working order that sounds like a less competitive version of flea market flip and i'm here for it exactly there is absolutely no drama or competition except when very occasionally the boss is like i'll give you the light piece to carry (gasps) and it's exactly what i'm here for incredible i love it that's the repair shop. Uh, and please, I, I am deeply into the show. I have, like, grafted the cast onto the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen, um, which is my other source of, like, mindless but lovely viewing. So if you want to talk repair shop, tweet me. I'm here for it. <laughs> Love it. And finally, as a reminder, if you are seeing friends and family uh, this week, it's a great time to say, hey, I know you may not know of this podcast, but why don't you come and see a live show with me? If you are in Austin, Boston or LA. We're going to be in podcast movement this February. We have stuff for you to come and see us. So grab those tickets, check out where we're going to be at multitude.productions slash live. Or if you're not in those cities, never fear, we're adding more dates all the time. And most of all, you can always say to somebody, hey, let me open up Spotify or a podcast app on your phone, subscribe you to the show, download an episode that you're going to love. I promise you're going to love it. That's the 
absolute best way to help us by growing the show and to, you know, get your friends and family into a show that you think they'll enjoy. Honestly, the best holiday present you can give is giving them a podcast that they will enjoy and you can enjoy together. Particularly ones with like 100 plus episodes for them to catch up on. Yeah, you know, so good. Well, that's it. We know it's a uh, a, a tough time of year for a lot of people and if nothing else, a, a sort of um, busy one with a lot of obligations. So no matter what you celebrate, when you celebrate or if you celebrate, we are wishing you lots of love and warmth this uh, end of December. And we hope that you uh, tell some ghost stories this holiday season. You'll see why. All right. Without further ado, enjoy Spirits Podcast Episode 160, Myth Movie Night, Spirit of Christmas. So Amanda, we have a, another Myth Movie Night with us today, and am I uh, using a bad Hallmark Christmas movie to talk about the tradition of telling ghost stories in Christmas? Yes. Yes, Fuck I yeah, am. we are. <laughs> yes. Excellent. I'm so excited. So- I watched this last year when it was on Netflix, but listen, folks, it is worth finding. This movie is something else. It's on Hulu now. So uh, we watched The Spirit of Christmas, which was made in 2015. It is not the best movie, but Jake is a big fan of the... Hallmark inspired Christmas movie, like of the Hallmark he is, Julia, romance, because he is wonderful. Yes, he is. He's just a big soft boy. So we watched this last year, as as you said, and I think I fell asleep during the last <laughs> quarter of the movie. So well, you missed a lot. The revelations were a lot at the end. So we're gonna start off by doing our two minute summary, which I think I, it's your turn. It my is friend. my turn. I'm very nervous about this. Okay. Okay. Let me try to use the studio clock. Okay. I believe nope. in you. Brandon's shaking his head. Okay. Nope. Gonna do Brandon a timer on my phone. I, I can also set it. I'm gonna also set a timer for myself. Oh, just... no, Julia. I, I just want the opportunity to be your timekeeper. Excellent. Great. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna get started. If, if you would like fewer spoilers for the movie, you can skip ahead about two minutes starting about now. Ready? Set. Okay, so we meet Kate, who is on a date, and she gets broken up with her boyfriend, and Kate is a real estate lawyer, does some sort of lawyering where she takes care of people's estates, estate lawyer, that's it. Uh, And so she is sent to the Holly Grove Inn, which her boss tells her is haunted, and they can't get any of the people to figure out how much it's worth. I forget what it's called. This is literally what my husband does. This is terrible. Appraise it. Appraise it. Um, And so she goes there. She meets the ghost whose name is Daniel. We find out that he was like a bootlegger and ran this in with his cousin and his brother. And he's sexy. Um, he died, and he only gets to stay in corporeal form for 12 days, the 12 days leading up to Christmas. And then he oh. disappears at midnight on the 24th. And so basically, she is like, okay, I got to get you figure out what your you know final wishes are or how you died or whatever, so we can get you out of this house, and I can get it Halfway. appraised. And then we can just uh, go on with our lives. But of course, they fall in love because he looks like a Canadian hipster, and they really didn't try anything on the costume. And basically, we find mm-hmm. out that he had the the woman he was in love with married his brother. She had a baby who died, and then also uh, she died herself right after that, and that sucked. Uh, but basically, he finds out that his cousin, who he ran the bootlegging business with, killed him because he was quitting the bootlegging business in order to be with the girl. And the reason that he comes back is that's the amount of days he was gone, and the girl was not all about that. And then uh, he basically decides whether or not to go with her into the afterlife or stay with Kate, who is he is also in love with. And then he... Uh, 
decides to stay and somehow becomes to, like alive again. And that's wild. How, how did he stay alive again? I don't understand. And then the movie ends with Three, a kiss. Two. One. Ah, oh, so well-timed. Good job, Julia. Thank you. I know. He basically just wills himself into life. And I, it's uh, wild. How? How? Okay, also, let's talk about the cocktail that we made for this episode. Um, oh, Because yes. there is a whole weird section because he's a bootlegger and he's like, ah, yes, I can beat any person in a cocktail-making contest. And then he's like, haha, a woman challenged me to a cocktail-making contest? Wild. And, and everyone's so- like, oh, it's so old-fashioned. <laughs> And then he makes a hanky-panky cocktail. So like most Prohibition cocktails, the hanky-panky is relatively simple. Uh, it is rut-dry gin. I don't know what rut-dry gin is. I imagine it's a Prohibition-style gin. Uh, Martini Rosa vermouth. So it's a little bit of a like red vermouth, which adds the color to it. And then Fernet Branca, which I had to look up what that was. And it's basically like a digestive bitter liqueur. Uh, it's like got chamomile in it and saffron and rhubarb. And then it's aged in a oak barrel for about a year. Hmm. Can't really find that at most uh, local liquor stores. But if you want to get real fancy, try it out. Yeah, but I appreciate the opportunity to enjoy gin even past the summertime. Mm-hmm. No, a good a good gin drink is always seasonal. Very, very adorable julia thank you i think that should be hendrix's new motto Ooh, give me that money hendrix or just send me a bottle every month truly for life or my afterlife since i might be a ghost like poor daniel yeah so there's a lot to talk about here about uh ghosts about hauntings about christmas hauntings um and and all kinds of other things but in general i thought the movie was pretty enjoyable as far as you know a cheesy kind of hallmark lifetime netflix uh christmas movies go and i am always here for a sexy ghost yeah yeah he, he was very sexy he was not a good actor anyway um let's talk also about- never wore a hat which i understand about the past mm-hmm. that people will be scandalized if specifically in the early 1900s you don't wear a hat ever he did have a hat in the final scene where he was human again and then he got his modesty back apparently <laughs> all right let's talk about christmas and ghosts amanda i let's, feel like let's talk about we it. both are ready to talk about this so let's let's do it so julia of course we we know that the the origins of christmas kind of are syncretizing existing celebrations of yule and the winter solstice do you want to remind us a bit about that context yeah absolutely so the festival of yule uh to quote the professor justin daniels quote christmas as celebrated in europe and the u.s was originally connected to the quote pagan winter solstice celebration and the festival uh known as yule the darkest day of the year was seen by many as a time when the dead would have particularly good access to the living. So much like we talked about with uh, Sawin and the kind of veil between the worlds being lifted or uh, thinner than usual, Yule kind of has a very similar aspect. And Yule is also often connected with Odin and the Wild Hunt and the Anglo-Saxon Night of the Mothers, which I hadn't heard of before I started Mm. researching this. So the Night of the Mothers specifically featured sacrifices being made to female deities who were usually represented in trios of women fascinating and keep your ears open and uh, i don't know maybe late january for an episode having to do something a little bit with this <laughs> um i know we've also discussed the wild hunt in past episodes but as a reminder to our listeners the wild hunt is when a ghostly or supernatural group of hunters typically fay but it depends on where you are in europe 
past humans in this kind of ecstatic hunt. Sometimes it's led by Odin, who leads the spirits of ancestral dead or dead warriors. Occasionally, an observer will be attacked and torn asunder by the hunt, but sometimes they bring forth the spirits of loved ones to send messages. So can be really violent and and chaotic, can also be a good way to talk to your loved ones and for them to pass on messages to you. In fact, the word Yule is one of the names of Odin. So he's known as the Yule Father or the Yule One. And in oh. Old Norse poetry, the word Yule is used as a synonym for feast. Really? Yeah. Uh, I have a long-ass quote by a historian named Emily Hollander uh, from his History of the Kings of Norway, but I'm not entirely sure I want to read it just because it's very like, oh, those pagans were doing sacrifices and putting blood yeah. on everything. So on Yule, when it was celebrated in Norse traditions, so toasts were drunk during the ceremony. So the first was to Odin, quote, for victory and power to the king. And then the second were toasted to the gods uh, Freyr and Njordur, uh, for the good harvest and for peace. And then a third was drunk for the king himself. And then there was a separate toast that was drunk in memory of the departed. So again, we're seeing that kind of play on the fact that, you know, the dead and those who have passed can interact with the living during this period of time. Contemporary celebrations, especially in neo-paganism traditions, uh, center their celebration around a meal and feast and gift giving, which we kind of see in similar traditions of modern Christianity and celebrating Christmas. Uh, in some forms of Wicca, the winter solstice marks the rebirth of the great horned hunter god and is celebrated accordingly. And of course, we see a lot of Yule traditions, like I said, in modern day Christmas traditions. So the Yule log, for instance, is said to represent the battle between light and dark, a burning bright light in the darkest day of the year. Uh, Yule singing or wassailing is also still practiced, uh, going door to door singing and offering a drink from the wassail bowl in exchange for gifts. Uh, modernity has kind of given way to caroling instead, but wassailing was also referred to before Christianity as spending the Yule celebration singing to the trees in order to promote a good harvest for the coming year. I want to sing to the trees. They don't care if I'm on pitch or not. No, they don't. They don't. They just like, oh, that's so nice of you. Here. Have, yeah. have plenty next season. <laughs> yeah. I was also looking into a few of these things because I said to myself, I, I know that People tell ghost stories in the sort of October season, right? Like in, in kind of the modern U.S., we associate ghost stories mostly with Halloween. Um, and some of this kind of like thinning of the veil, you know, being together and observant of the dead reminded me of our discussion with Trina Espinosa from Dia de los Muertos oh, in yeah. 2018. Um, and I, I noticed in one of the articles I read that they were like, yeah, you know, the kind of ghost telling um, tradition has moved a little bit from Christmas more toward Halloween in recent uh, mm -hmm. decades. And I'm not sure why. I guess the, you know, the idea being like there's something about the darker parts of the year that encourage us to sort of sit around inside thinking of stuff to do in the dark or near dark um, and kind of like embracing that level of spookiness, you know, observing something about the turning of the tides, the seasons, the year, and thinking about, you know, those who have gone and those who may still be around. I wonder, Julia, if you have any uh, kind of thoughts or theories as to why that might be. Yeah, I, I think that when it comes down to it, um, it, it's probably a matter of Christianity kind of superseding traditions and then everything sort of shifting on the calendar. But I loved your point about, you know, the the darkness of winter and the, the dark nights and the coldness of it uh, being kind of inspiring to tell spooky stories and ghost stories. I mean, even Shakespeare in The Winter's Tale writes, a sad tale's best for winter. I have one of sprites and goblins. 
And I, in fact, Julia, cast an eye over my bookshelf where I have all of my texts from my literature degree grouped in the same place Mm -hmm. and realized that a lot of these books actually take place in December. So Frankenstein takes place in mid-December. The Raven is in late December. Mm -hmm. As you will recall, each separate dying ember brought its ghost upon the floor. Uh, Poe, you're so metal. Fuck. (laughs) So metal. So many feelings. If you haven't heard Amanda rap the Raven. Yeah, it's true. It is. An incredible experience. Can you give the, the little taste here? No. no. Um, because no? <laughs> James Joyce's The Dead also takes place at Christmas time. <gasps> okay. So uh, I, I'm sorry, Julia, I don't want to shut you down, but I just, without David Reinstrom beatboxing under me, I am I am nothing. I'm, I will link it in the show notes for our patrons so that they can listen to it. But perhaps the most uh, Christmas ghost story of all is, of course, A Christmas Carol, which we actually touch on in next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Keep an ear out for that. Um, this, as you know, Julia, was published in 1843. And very unlike, I think, our modern conception of the Victorian era, which you think of, you know, like Christmas villages and people being so festive and, you know, like the height of nostalgia um, for a certain kind of British person. Uh, it was actually the Christmas Carol's publication was part of kind of a project of trying to make Christmas more of a thing. Um because it it wasn't for a while. Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas carols and other elements of what we now think of as traditional Christmas pastimes as part of a project to, quote, rid England of its excesses. And Christmas ghost stories, of course, didn't really catch on in the U.S. since the settlers that came over from England were Puritans. Um, And I had a a really, I thought, insightful paragraph from an article by the Smithsonian, which we'll link in the description. Um, Quote, Dickens discontinued the Christmas publications in 1868, complaining to his friend Charles Fetcher that he felt, quote, as if I had murdered Christmas a number of years ago, perhaps I did, and its ghost perpetually haunted me. I wrote down that same quote. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Returning to the article, though, by then the ghost of Christmas ghost stories had taken on an afterlife of its own, and other writers rushed to fill the void that Dickens had left. By the time of Jerome's 1891 told after supper, he could casually joke about a tradition long ensconced in Victorian culture, what was actually only about 45 years old. Yeah, I have the quote from Jerome, if you'd like me to read it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And Jerome K. Jerome was a humorist from the late 1800s. And so he wrote, whenever five or six English speaking people meet round a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve, but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. It is a genial, festive season, and we love to muse upon graves and dead bodies and murders and blood. I mean, we do, but I'm glad to know other people do too. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, because I think at this point, Charles Dickens had created something that wasn't just Christmas stories, you know, because people were telling Christmas stories for generations and generations. A couple of years before Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, writers like Wilkie Collins and Elizabeth Gaskell were, you know, basically reincarnating the practice of telling those Christmas stories. Uh, But I really liked what uh, author Keith Lee Morris wrote um, for an article for The Independent, which was this. It's not just a ghost story that one could tell at Christmas, but with Scrooge sitting in his armchair as his life story is unfurled before him, it is a story about ghost stories at Christmas, a kind of meta-Christmas ghost story, if you will. Which I thought was so fascinating. And I have been listening to a lot of She 
whodunit, Caroline Crampton's wonderful podcast about women in golden age detective fiction. And I read a book she recommended about like the history of the detection club, which was kind of Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers and a bunch of different crime writers in Britain had like a little club together where they talked about and tried to kind of formalize the idea of like what makes a proper detective fiction story. And with that framework in mind, I was so delighted to see this article in the Paris Review where Colin Fleming wrote and kind of tried to like put down the rules of what a ghost story is. So he writes, writers of ghost stories love to make authoritative lists about what makes such stories work. The first key to a Christmas ghost story is a convivial atmosphere. People in these stories are well-fed, they're often hanging out in groups, you feel like you're hanging out with them, and you don't wish to leave any more than they do. It's cold outside, but warm in here, and it's time to rediscover that sense of play that so many of us adults lose over the years. I absolutely love that. Um, and I think it's really funny because one of the things that I pulled up while I was researching was by um, a author named William Dean Howells who wrote a Harper's editorial in 1886, basically complaining that Christmas ghost story traditions didn't have a set of morals anymore. Yes, and yes, so yes. he would have hated this movie first off, but also would totally agree with this Paris Review quote. Let me read his quote real quick. So It was well once a year, if not oftener, to remind men by parable of the old simple truths, to teach them that forgiveness and charity and the endeavor for a life better and purer than each has lived are the principles upon which alone the world holds together and gets forward. It was well for the comfortable and the refined to be put in mind of the savagery and suffering all around them, and to be taught, as Dickens was always teaching, that certain feelings which grace human nature as tenderness for the sick and helpless, self-sacrifice and generosity, self-respect and manliness and womanliness are the common heritage of the race, the direct gift of heaven shared equally by the rich and poor. Damn, guy. You have a lot of opinions. Damn, Howells. Like, damn. But he's basically saying, he's like, what happened to our, our Christmas ghost stories where people had morals? Listen, guy, I don't think any of your morals are current morals. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> like, Listen, at least he included womanliness and not just manliness. That is true. <laughs> well, because, Julia, those are the two genders. Mm -hmm. Only that. <laughs> Only feminine butch. <laughs> <laughs> he likes that one? <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Well, uh, you may ask, how does Colin Fleming uh, sort of summarize that writers of ghost stories think should happen after that convivial atmosphere has been established? Yes, please. Well, next, a game might be proposed. Say, a game of telling stories. Of course. Then... Colin writes, comes the terror. The status quo is infused with a sensation of something being a touch off. Chuckles give way to shared, uneasy glances that maybe this isn't all merrymaking. As we've talked about in many a hometown urban legend, the scared chuckle is one of the defining traits of a ghost story. Oh, totally. And in reading that quote, I love that we're going back and forth with all this research, by the way, because normally I'm just like, a, it's a deluge of research from you at me. Yes. And I really appreciate the, the back and forth. Um, but I really loved this. I was like, oh, wow, maybe the idea of like a ghost story interrupting a, sh a shared family holiday is, I mean, hasn't that happened to you, Julia, where like you're at a family occasion and then someone's like, wait, like uncle whatever has been married before or like wait that like it can be everything from like oh wow i just didn't know that fact to like revelations that you didn't think were going to come to light it could be 
forced. It could be just unfortunate. Like there's all kinds of just stuff happening under the surface potentially that could come to light at a gathering like this. And maybe it's, you know, that the past was good for people like you. And now you're worried that like modernity is happening. And that is sort of like the upsetting of the like, quote, existing order um, that you think of as like a ghost coming. Or maybe it really truly is like a specter of the past that had been suppressed or had been like shunted to the side or you didn't know about as like a young person in the room that's now coming uh, and interrupting your your family gathering. Yeah. And I think that it, this reminds me of most of my family holidays and this might just be me. So tell me if I'm wildly off, but my family has a habit of one-upsmanship when it comes to storytelling, <laughs> where it's like someone will be like, oh my God, you'll never believe what happened to me. And then they tell a story and someone will be like, oh my God, that reminds me of when this happened to me. And then they try to one-up yeah. the story and then it continues and continues until there's just wild preposterous stories happening in like the, the living room while the rest of us are trying to clean up after dinner. And you're like, what? Th- how did we get to this? Yeah. Mine is more like uh, someone either accidentally or is just like, oh, yeah, no, you didn't know that, like, this cousin suffered this horrible trauma or, like, th- this uh, relative you didn't know about used to be around. Like, it's uh, it's kind of dark, which is why I really love James Joyce's story, The Dead, uh, which is about, like, a, just like a, a nice little dinner party where bad secrets about uh, marriages come to light. And I'm just like, mm, mwah, yes, like, everyone's kind of drunk and talking about the marriages they wish they weren't in. Sounds like a very Irish family holiday. That sounds absolutely delightful, honestly. I'd love when family secrets get revealed and everyone is scandalized and then everyone forgets about the scandal like two weeks later because, you know, we've moved on to the next one. Yeah, no, that, that sounds right. You also have so many relatives that you're just you have a constant pool of these. Yeah, I know the the odds are ever in my favor of having a eventful family. Holidays. That is fair. But Julie, before we move on to what I also would love to address, which is kind of like the physicality of hauntings and houses and inns. I would also like to bring up this wonderful Icelandic Christmas ghost story that I found because it's not it didn't all start in the UK in the 1800s. That is fair. Amanda, do you want to get a refill of our hanky pankies and then you could tell me the story? Yes, Julia. Awesome. Let's go get a refill. Julia, we are sponsored this week by HoneyBook, which in 2019 did a lot to help keep me uh, level-headed during my first uh, full year of running a business full-time. Sorry, I just got really distracted because the HoneyBook copy has a thing that says, you are the CEO. My God, no one told you there would be so much admin work to do. Uh, it's extremely hard. And HoneyBook knows that, which is why their copy is so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is a business management tool that lets you organize your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. So whether you're a freelancer, entrepreneur, or a small business owner, it'll help you keep everything together. Whether you use QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, MailChimp, it communicates with all those services and helps you keep all of your admin all in one place. What about busy work? Uh, it can help you automate it. And they have easy to use templates for emails, proposals, brochures, invoices. I use templates like every single day at work, whether that's reaching out to a new sponsor or asking somebody, hey, hi, uh, I sent you an invoice, please pay me. And actually, Julia, I ran some stats and HoneyBook helped make sure that we got paid on time in 2019. The average time between sending a sponsor an invoice and getting paid for multitude was 27 days. Dang, and that's pretty good. There is no way that that would be uh, the case without HoneyBook helping me to make sure that I send those follow-ups and send those invoices in a timely fashion. Incredible. And Amanda, right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off if you go to honeybook.com slash spirits. And the payment is super flexible. So you can either apply that promotion to when you pay monthly or when you pay annually. 
Absolutely. That's honeybook.com slash spirits for 50% off your first year. Honeybook.com slash spirits. Amanda, during the holidays, things get a little hectic and the grocery stores are super packed and I can't always make the dish that I want to make for dinner. And luckily, on nights like that, I can just open up my phone and pull up the DoorDash app. You mean the place that lets you order from over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities in all 50 states? Yeah, and it's super easy. All you have to do is open up that app. You choose where and what you want to eat, and then the food is delivered right to you wherever you are. So you can get door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and in Canada. You can order from all your local go-tos, or you can get stuff from your favorite national chain restaurants like Chipotle, or if you're Amanda, the Cheesecake Factory. Amanda loves Cheesecake Factory. I love it. I love it. So you don't have to worry about what you're going to be doing for dinner. You can just let dinner come to you with DoorDash. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SPIRITS. Exactly. So you can get $5 off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code SPIRITS. Yep. Again, that is the promo code SPIRITS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Make your list. Check it twice. Get DoorDash. Yeah. Get Santa some cookies from that cool bakery down the street. And finally, Julia, we are sponsored this week by Stitch Fix, which is helping me make my planning, my outfit planning for our live shows coming up in 2020 a lot less stressful because I know that I can ask them, hey, I want some statement pieces because my girl Julia always wears amazing sequined garments. And I want to make sure that I bring the sartorial level of excellence that you do. My outfits are always sparkly. It is extremely good. And Stitrix is really helpful for me in this regard because I am not super good at shopping for myself. I really prioritize comfort and I kind of know my styles. You know, I know my stores and my sizes and I stick to what I know. So Stitch Fix is really helpful because you can give them input and say like, hey, I'm shopping for this one event or this one kind of hole in my closet or I'm going on vacation and I need, you know, a warm wardrobe. And they do all the work where their stylists will select things that fit your budget and your body. Yeah, all you have to do is complete a style profile and then you get that expert personal stylist and they're picking the clothing out for you and they really listen to the feedback that you send them. Uh, and the best part is there is no subscription required. So you can pick between automatic shipments or you can only get new pieces when you want them. And then shipping exchanges and returns are always free. And the $20 styling fee automatically applies to anything you keep in your box. So the minute you keep something from Stitch Fix, that $20 goes right to that. And if you end up loving everything they send you, as I often do, you can get 25% off when you keep everything in that box when you go to stitchfix.com slash spirits to sign up. That's stitchfix.com slash spirits. Thank you so much, Stitch Fix. Once more, that's stitchfix.com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. So this comes from a really great blog by John Kaneko James, who is a historian and scholar, and it's johnkanekojames.com. We'll also link that in the description. Um, he is a Kofi, so if you enjoy the story, uh, Spears will be making a donation because we loved it so much, but please uh, consider subscribing and donating to his blog. Buy him a coffee. So the point of this blog post uh, titled Ghosts of Christmas Past is that there were all kinds of ghost stories happening in the Northern traditions, Britain, Scotland, uh, Denmark, and all kinds of other places. This one comes from Iceland, which I really enjoyed. It's in the Saga of the People of Floy, which is a uh, like oral history um, and text that was dated to around 1300 CE. And it 
contains an extremely good uh, Christmas ghost story. So I'll be quoting here from uh, from John's blog post. So in the saga of the people of Floy, an anonymous knocking figure begins the Yuletide horror. Already hate that. After a particularly beautiful Christmas day, a group of noisy celebrants are roused by a knocking on the door of the house in which they're staying. When a man goes out to see who it is, optimistically remarking, it's undoubtedly good news. Oh, no, dude. He immediately goes mad and dies. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This haunting does not escalate. It just, like, goes there. (laughs) Just starts from the beginning at an 11 and stays there. The same thing happens to another six of the men from the rowdy crew. Notably, the terrible fate of madness and death is spared for the crew staying in the same house who were in bed nice and early. What? So this is like late on Christmas Day. Why, why do they keep going out if the people keep <laughs> dying of madness? And what well, Julia, they're tempted one by one into the night, driven mad and carried off by illness. Uh, huh? Once Christmas is over, the dead return in force. Oh, no. So not only are the routing Jostein's crew brought back as revenants, but so are a number of dead locals. Oh, no. Finally, Thorgils, captain of the crew who slept early, Great name. takes all of the dead and burns them in a pyre, ensuring that none of the revenants, one of whom was his wife, would rise to trouble the living again. Okay, we know that revenants can be killed by fire. That is a fundamental fact. Got it. Cool. And the revenant uh, comes up again in Grettir's saga. Ooh. Here, Thoral, owner of a haunted pasture, which I need to know a lot more about. Uh, are, the, are the ghosts uh, stallions? What's happening? Uh, we will find out because Thoral hires the desperado Glam, great name, great name, to watch his sheep. Oh, it's sheep. Glam is happy to take up his task in mid-October and watch the flock through Hollowtide, but his rough manners soon bring him into trouble because on Christmas ghost Eve, sheep, ghost sheep, he demands food from Thoral's devout wife, Don't demand uncaring food. of the fact that she is fasting. Don't, hey, don't do that. Hey, Glam, don't be a jerk. After managing to get a meal by threatening and abusing Thoral's wife, he stumps out into the snow for his watch, never to return. Good. Unprepared to venture out into a snowstorm that seems to have devoured glam, Thoral and his household wait until daylight. See? Smart. Don't go outside when people are disappearing and dying. The only bad choice Thoral's made so far is hiring glam, yeah. but like, fair enough. But like, you know, we all we all make mistakes when hiring people sometimes, and then you're like, oh, you don't really mesh with the team, I'm sorry. Bye, don't abuse my wife and demand food from her. Mm. So in the daylight, they come upon the remains of the shepherd. His corpse is badly damaged, seemingly torn to pieces by an evil spirit. It is here that glam also rises. His corpse vanishes, is found, and then buried under a pile of rocks, but it does nothing to deter him from rising to terrify the local community. Ugh. I'm not, I'm Finally, not liking Julia. the theme of Revenants at Christmas, though I do want to oh. write that horror movie. It's bad, and y'all should really read this whole blog post. It's wonderful. But finally, to to kind of do a little coda here, let's fast forward one year to the next Christmas morning. Whoa. Glam's replacement, the shepherd Thorgot, is found with his neck broken, and Glam begins to attack Thoral's household. Glam. Killing his animals and literally frightening Thoral's daughter to death. Glam. Finally, the hero Grettir kills the Revenant, but only at the cost of being cursed himself. No, Grettir. As in the first story, the Revenant is the result of an external contagion that is never really identified. Zombie, neither, zombie, zombie. <laughs> neither is Glam's killer, nor the being who kills Jostein's crew, ever seen or explained. Someone write me a Christmas zombie story right now. 
I need it in my life. Extremely good. Thank you, John Kaneko James. That's linked in the description. So Amanda, I'd love to talk about kind of before you get into the the rules of haunted houses. Let's talk about the rules of this haunting from the movie. Yes, I would love to ground us in this text before we kind of examine what happens in others. Um, Mostly, Julia, wouldn't you say that this is kind of a haunting that's like an echo of previous life? Yes, because we do see uh, in several parts of the movie that basically there's just he's replaying the events of the night that he couldn't possibly have seen. But it's the same people caught in the same time loop, basically. Exactly. It's stuff like doors opening and closing, uh, noises, things dropping. None of it is like particularly terrifying. Mm. It's just you can't identify the cause. And so it's like creepy. Yes, absolutely. So in the movie, uh, Daniel, our ghost, uh, basically can only appear during the 12 days of Christmas in his corporeal form. He can only stay on the grounds of the inn, which we see highlighted by this like weird column arch that if he passes through it, he just disappears. Which is also yeah. the like the veil between the world of the living and the dead, which we see. He has to make his choice whether he goes with Lily, his loved one, or stays behind with Kate in the human world. Is it explained why that's the case? No. no. Do we know why the house is just in a bubble? No. Do we know why when he tries to cross that boundary, he just like teleports back to the stairs? No. No, not really. Uh, I think it's very much similar to... Kind of Beetlejuice in that they can't leave the house or otherwise they they get stuck in the weird desert with the sandworms. Don't know why. Something else I thought was interesting about this ghost in particular is that he is always eating. I also like they leave it very open to the idea of whether or not he has a consciousness when it's not the 12 days of Christmas. Oh, tell me more. I just, well, because, you know, he says, oh, something to the effect of, you know, when she says, oh, that's been 95 years or whatever, he's like, well, it hasn't felt that long to me. And I'm just like, are you only conscious during those 12 days every year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Hold on. How many days is that? 95 times 12. It is. That's only like a little over a thousand days, a thousand one hundred and forty days. So it feels like, you know, a good three years. Yeah, that's like nothing. No, it's not. That's not that's not enough time to grieve your wife and dead child. Something else that was unusual, I think, about this ghost. This is a a quote from the blogger The Duds and Studs. I read a bunch of recaps to refresh my memory here. Incredible. Um, And and she writes, much like Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven, Daniel is always eating. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, but um, the the ghost I guess, uh, sensations that he can experience include eating. Like while he is like alive briefly, um, he can like use his senses to their maximum uh, when eating. And then <laughs> the Deads and Suds blogger was like, uh, yeah, and maybe for other things like, you know, who knows? It's just open to our imagination. Oh, just implying he fucks. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Love it. Yeah. We, he does not get to fuck while in ghost form, though. That's unfortunate. No, not this time. But after his decision at the end... We'll see. But I thought it was an interesting kind of wrinkle on the haunting, because when we think about like traditional uh, hauntings, we often like the ghosts are obviously very transparent. Maybe they can't move objects. They can just pass through things or they can like push stuff over but not throw it. Um, It's sort of like a, a 
continuum of like being able to impact matter all the way to it's sort of like a poltergeist style haunting where they can like in like they touch you scratch you like throw things whatever yeah very very rarely do we see a ghost in media or even if you are a believer see a ghost that you know around exists in reports uh has a like corporeal form in the way that daniel is described yeah, I basically could not find any examples of sort of like a ghost that has ritualistic, like physical form, mm-hmm. um, apart from what we discussed earlier of kind of like the ghost being able to commune or visit or come into the world um, on that sort of day of the veil being open. Ooh, what if he's just like a demon spirit who is possessing a body every time that he shows up and it just transforms to look like him. Interesting. And then he sheds the husk every year. (laughs) Wow, that got dark real quick. That uh, that really explains the serial killer of Holly Grove, doesn't it? There you go. Also, again, keep your ear out next week. This is a very uh, interesting kind of pairing of episodes. I love Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's very, very good. But I thought, too, about the kind of like ghosts being tethered to a place. Um, And again, I tried to do a little research about this, but I realized it's more of just like an understood thing that uh, ghosts can either be tethered to a place or a person, a.k.a. like a haunting. Like a ghost can haunt you specifically. Or an object, I guess, as we saw in the case of Annabelle the doll. Yes. All the haunted Thank you for reminding me. Mm-mm, don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought a little bit about like hotel and inn ghosts. Mm. And in particular, these <laughs> kinds of hauntings are very common. Yes. There's all kinds of horror and spooky stories, as we know, with this kind of setting from The Shining to all kinds of actual places you can actually stay that are by their own admission slash claim haunted. Mm, okay. I, I Before we get into this, um, recently, as Amanda tweeted out a tweet about um, using her VPN to Google ghosts that have fucked people. Uh, no, Julia. I said movies where people have sex with ghosts. And what did you find? I found nothing, Julia, except a listicle that when I read it, I turned to Eric and Brandon here in the office and said, what happens in the movie Ghost? They fuck. And then I realized that they fuck, Julia. They do. That's what happens in the movie Ghost. Um, yeah. Also, uh, Ghostbusters. Uh, That's true. Yeah, that is. He gets a blowjob from a ghost. Yikes. Anyway, moving on. But when that particular uh, area of research did not really pan out for me, I decided to just do a little Googling about haunted houses because this inn is not a haunted house, right? Like it's just the location of this ghost's death. And he, as we were saying earlier, it's more like there's an echo or a time loop um, that is caught in that location and not like it is a haunted house like we think of where it's just like a spirit of malice. Yes. But I thought that it would be really interesting to kind of like define what exactly is a haunted house. I would love that. Please go on. Well, I would love to give you some of my favorite parts of a book I read called Haunting Experiences, Ghosts in Contemporary Folklore mm-hmm. by Diane Goldstein, Sylvia Ann Grider, and Jenny B. Thomas. Wow, ladies go. I know. Three women scholars writing about hauntings. Love it. Hell yes. So haunted houses, they write, are delineated by property lines. They contain spirits driven by a yearning or echoes of past life, party noises, cries, door shutting, etc. Did they say property lines? They did. Like the ghosts really, really care about how the the local township decided where their 
where they'll cross. Yeah, almost like the myth of private land uh, is toxic and has uh, stolen origins. Yeah. Incredible. Love it. Continue. So they summarize some of the kind of like popular literature that uh, really brought haunted houses as a thing to the fore. There is, of course, The Fall of the House of Usher, which is in 1839. Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne's The House of the Seven Gables in 1851. And of course, many since then. Uh, But popular literature has brought the literary innovation of the haunted house as a character to unexpected heights of psychological terror. They write, The unseen supernatural inhabitants of these haunted houses assume the role of supporting characters who are seemingly controlled by the house itself. Instead of functioning as a deus ex machina, the haunted house is the machina, completely outside of human control. Wow, I love that. And as as someone who spent most of last year telling Amanda to watch The Haunting of Hill House, it is very much the house itself is one of the primary characters of the show. Well, Julia, I'm so glad you said that, because to close out my little haunted house research corner, I thought, of course, let's quote from the first page of The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, shall we? Yes, please. The face of Hill House seemed awake, with a watchfulness from the blank windows and a touch of glee in the eyebrow of a cornice. Exorcism cannot alter the countenance of a house. Hill House would stay as it was until it was destroyed. Oh, so good. Shirley Jackson. Incredible. But unlike Hill House, we assume at the end of this movie that the Holly Grove Inn is just going to be a nice place where people live and fuck and come to stay. They do. They do go to fuck and also to stay. (laughs) Don't you love a Christmas movie that is not really about a haunting, but just about wanting to eat and enjoy other carnal desires. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. He definitely like had a big sandwich and then fucked her like immediately after the <laughs> credits rolled. <laughs> All right, if you became a ghost and then came back to Earth, what would what would be the first things you did with your corporeal form? Oh my god, eat. One hundred percent, I would eat. What would you eat? Um, like a good steak and uh, like garlic mashed potatoes, like some really good asparagus with a lot of like lemon juice on it. Mm. I think that would be it. Or prosciutto wrapped asparagus. That would be a good option too. Lots of cheese. Just like a cheese plate for my appetizer or my dessert. Yeah. Yeah. One of those. Love that. What about you? I think I would go um, cheeseburger. Mm. Just because the like the textures, the uh, different kinds of flavors all present in the same dish, a real good sour pickle in there, crunchy lettuce. Uh, I think that would be my my first bite. But I'd also want to like get in a bath because I feel like yes. the, the sensation of temperature would also be really welcome. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I feel like when you're a ghost, you're always cold. Yeah, I just or assume no that. temperature. No temperature I would be fine with. I was like, if I could just <laughs> always be the perfect temperature all the time, that would That's be my true. ideal situation. But That's true. I feel like ghost, always cold for some reason. Uh, well, Julia, I hope that this December you get to enjoy not just the the taste and sensation of foods that you love, <laughs> but also being able to, uh, to enjoy those temperatures. And if you're a little bit chilly, put those feet by a fire. I'm gonna. I love my fireplace. It's like my favorite part of my house during this time of year. Uh, my favorite part of my house during this time of year is the electric blanket that I inserted into my duvet cover so, so that I have duvet electric blanket all wrapped up in one envelope and I can just curl up in it. Incredible. Add gravity blanket. Make it perfect. No, Julie, because then I'd never be able to sleep without it again. Yes. And if I traveled, I would just be screwed. Uh, yeah, that happens. I just burrito when I travel, which basically like yeah. does the same thing for me. But yeah, I feel you. It's good stuff. But um, thank you for suggesting this wonderful movie. Thank you for bringing me such good research and letting me quote literature. And uh, listeners, remember, stay creepy, stay cool. 
Thanks again to our sponsors. At honeybook.com spirits, you can get 50% off your first year of this online business management tool. When you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code spirits, you'll get $5 off your first order of $15 or more. And at stitchfix.com spirits, you'll get 25% off when you keep all of the items in your box. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.